Now, we've been talking about, and we began the new year talking about Jesus and, and Revelation, how they're talking about Jesus making all things new. And we've been talking about coming into a new year, there's a lot of things that are new. There's a lot of new beginnings. There's a lot of things that we want to do a little bit differently. Maybe we're looking back and um, sometimes discouraged about things that didn't go as well last year as we would have liked. And so maybe we can do something different this year. But the whole idea that God is renewing, that, that Christ has come so that the kingdom would come and that it would be making all things new. That in the end, sin will be gone. We can't even imagine really what the resurrected life and the end, the, that eschatological end when everything comes down and is culminated. What is that going to look like? It, it's just to try and imagine it, we still can't even fathom it. And so, but he's doing that. And it says that he is making, it is present active. He is continually doing it right now. And so I want to just kind of springboard off of that and continue on with that, that theme. And today talk about in being, making things all new, we're part of that work. We're part of that renewing work. And that is being Christ's ambassadors. And I've kind of touched on this along the way, especially as we talked about the kingdom of God and, uh, during that series. Today we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As far as ambassadors go, we... We understand that ambassador, we have ambassadors for our states, we have ambassadors for the government, we have different people that go in and they, they have the title ambassador. But what does that really mean? What does that entail? Well, it means a, an ambassador is a faithful representative on behalf of another person or a government. There are no loose words that come out of their mouth. They are representing someone else or a group of people. They always speak and act in a manner that is mindful of their government and the one who sent them. And that is, that is really interesting that that is the word that Paul uses in the New Testament to remind us that that is what we are called to. That is what we have become in Christ, is that we are Christ's ambassadors. As Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ, is what we'll see in verse 20. We're called to faithfully represent Christ in a world that does not yet know him. Our lives of ambas as ambassadors should proclaim, I speak on behalf of the king. Again, this goes back to the kingdom of God series that Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. I am, I am initiating that work and now I'm calling you into that work in me. And so as you belong to me and I belong to you, now you are my ambassadors. As, I, as he goes and he ascends and he gets things prepared to come down, he is, he is sending us out. And so what does that look like? What does that mean for us? So the passage I'm going to look at today is chapter 5 through uh, 11 through 21. It's a lengthy passage. I'm actually going to even start in verse 9 just to give us a little more context on the front end. So let's read this together. Follow along with me. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. So that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. 
For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to him not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we do thank you again for your, your good and perfect word. We thank you for this particular passage and a reminder of the calling that you have placed upon us as your children, but also as your ambassadors. We thank you also for the reminder of the great work that you've done. And we pray, Lord, that you would help illuminate this passage by your spirit and not only help us to see it, but Lord, help it to move us, move us outward towards others in the way that you move towards us. We pray all this in Christ's name. So making all things new in view of Christ's ambassadors. So quickly, I want to kind of go through this. Three hindrances. I want to talk about three hindrances that Paul kind of touches on in these, in these verses, in this passage. Three hindrances to being faithful ambassadors for Jesus. The first one, we fear man more than we fear God. Two, we look to others from the wrong point of view. And three, we don't believe God really intends to use us. So let's look at the first one. We fear man more than we fear God. In verses 11 through 12, we will see Paul talking about this. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart? The fear of man can be quite crippling, can't it? It's what, what Paul's trying to get to here is he's, he's reminding us that, that fear paralyzes us quite often. And when it is displaced, those are the things that actually motivate whether or not we step forward or step back. And so when he's talking about the fear of the Lord, now that we know the fear of the Lord, now that we understand what it is to live before a holy perfect, righteous, powerful, even judging God, we now understand who's really in charge here. We understand that we don't have to commend ourselves as others do. We don't walk around and throw out our, our resume as we, as we need to, as people tell us to. Uh, it's, it's living before the audience of one. That's really what Paul's getting at. He's not concerned with what people think about him anymore because he's known by God. He lives before that audience. You can choose to live in front of others in two ways. The first is either before God and others as his representatives, his ambassadors, 
or as those who commend themselves. That is, praise themselves. It's, it's kind of like when Marcy was in, um, in nursing, I remember she would come home so frustrated because they started this whole thing where they kept telling, telling the nursing staff, you need to manage yourself up because they have these little star things that get star ratings by your, by your, uh, your patients. And uh, she hated it because she just, that's not her mode. She doesn't want to be out in front of people. She's there to serve. She was called into nursing because she cares for caring for people. And that's where her heart was. She didn't care whether or not she got all these accolades and got extra stars and little badges and things like that. She just wanted to serve faithfully. And, and her managers and people would come around saying, you got to manage yourself up. you got to get out there. you got to tell them what sort of things you do and how many, how many things you've done well and what you've been recognized for when you introduce yourself to your patients. And she said it felt so awkward when a manager would kind of follow her in sometimes into a room and she would have to kind of do that because it just isn't natural. It's not natural. We shouldn't, that, that the, Jesus didn't come in just parading in this bright, lavish glory, did he? That was the whole paradox. This is the king. He came humbly and he died on the cross and that's how he did his conquering. Incredible. Right? So living before the audience of one reminds us that we don't have to commend ourselves anymore. We live simply for the Lord. We live before him, obedient to him. And as we do that, he, as he says, you humble yourself, I will exalt you. Right? As ambassadors for the king, we're called to live out and speak his truth, even if it goes against what seems to be the cultural norm. Yes, even if it means we're seen as odd. Look at verse 13. I love how Paul puts this. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Now this, this phrase, if we're beside ourselves, actually kind of has a connotation of being out of our brains. If it seems like we are out of our minds, kind of crazy. Okay, He's talking about if people perceive us as just sort of nutty and weird because we're not following suit, that's okay. But if we're in our right mind, it's for you. You will recognize that we're in our right mind because we're living in a manner that reflects the glory of God and the one to whom we should be concerned with at all times. That's the call to being an ambassador. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. He goes on in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. The word here, control, is, is I've mentioned this before, it's, it's this idea of pressing in, it's, it's compelling, it's a squeeze, it's, it's kind of like, a, I think I used the, the analogy of, of a, a watermelon seed. If you just pop a little watermelon seed out and you, you squeeze it and it just shoots out, you know, it's, it's, it's just the, the compressing, compelling love of Christ, the love of God and Jesus that starts to squeeze us into trajectories to places we've got to go in directions and to people and, and things in which he calls us to do. And how do we know that? What compels us? Well, then Paul goes on in 14 and 15 to continue to say, because one's died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. It's in the death of Christ that we see the mercy and the grace of God 
we see the overwhelming amount of love that he has for us. And that should move us not to try and pay him back, but out of gratitude because there's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing we can add. Paid in full, there is nothing I can add. But there is work to be done. And he's continuing to do that work. So we can't sit still. The second hindrance to being faithful ambassadors for Jesus, we look to others from the wrong point of view. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When Paul talks about regarding no one according to the flesh, he's talking about in worldly standards. We don't look at people in those worldly standards anymore. We don't do the judging that, that the world does. We don't pedestal people for things that the world wants to pedestal people for. We have to be careful how we, how we sort of divide up our culture, how we segment people, how we immediately just give our own little our, our first thoughts of where we want to categorize them. That's the danger. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't do that anymore. Because when we're in Christ, we're new creations. What about, what about even in the church? You know, this is, this is something that he's speaking to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians church, who, who they had a whole lot of stuff going on in Corinth. Okay, they, that was like hodgepodge sin city in a way it was like yeah what happened in Corinth stays in Corinth in a lot of ways but some of it trickled out but the reality is this people had all kinds of things and you can imagine folks coming to Christ and they're 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 new Christians and they're starting to gather up in congregations and this person used to do all these things and they still kind of do it and this person's doing this this person talks to people in a really awkward way and they're a little abrupt and a little abrasive and and he's saying don't regard them in the same way you would have in a worldly way. No, no, no. Look with them with spiritual eyes. Look with them with new eyes because they are a new creation. There's a work that's happened in them and it's happening still. And so we have grace, the very grace that we need. It's God giving us new lenses to look at things through. It's to look onto people with redemptive lenses. God looked beyond our sin and rebellion and he showed us mercy in Christ. One of my favorite little stories I had to read in college uh, in a world lit class was uh, Don Quixote of La Mancha. How many of you are familiar with this story? Did y'all get to read this? How many of you actually got to read it? I, I love this story. And I think the reason I loved it is because I was still fairly young as a Christian. I was just pursuing my bachelor's in biblical studies and I needed to get this credit uh, to just get it done for my bachelor's program, but I took it at a, at a community college. And, and this was one of the stories I got to read. And I loved it because I was feeling that pressure in the midst of just going to a community college. I had been at my little Baptist school over here, this little Baptist college where I was doing my biblical studies. And then on the side, I went over here and did this, and it was like coming back into the, into the world context a bit with people who are studying and they're talking and they're seeing things differently. But I love this story because you have... You, you have Don Quixote, who is an older man, he's, he's midlife, and, and he, he's middle-aged, and he's, he's reading all these novels. He just kind of starts 
brewing on all these different novels that talk about chivalry and, and knighthood. And, and he gets so engrossed in them that he starts to just adopt it all. He takes that whole frame of, of thinking, that worldview, and he starts to try to live it out. And so he makes his own little armor set and a little helmet and he takes his little friend Sancho Panza and they go out on this journey he's going off in to, to do some honorable task and journey for for this this muse of his that he has in mind Dulcinea del Toboso and, and everything's about Dulcinea I'm doing this for my woman and and so it's this chivalry this this knight's heartbeat and of course he goes and I think I've got some pictures of just some paintings that were done based on Don Quixote's story you, you have he and, and Sancho moving along. You, you have him charging a, a group of windmills because he thinks they're giants that he's about to take down. But there's something about Don Quixote that he moves in in a way that seems like it's so outdated. The values are gone. That's gone and passe, man. This is, this is where we are now. In fact, he comes up to some, some women of the would be considered sort of women of the street at, at one point. But he looks onto them and he starts calling them maidens, fair ladies, and they start chuckling and laughing at him. He starts viewing people with dignity. He doesn't see them in, in the trashy ways that, that, that the world has conditioned everyone to look at. He adopted a worldview that actually helps him to see things with a little more purity, a little more value and rightness to it, goodness. And he gets ridiculed for it over and over and over. And he's even considered someone who's beside himself, out of his mind. It's a beautiful story because it really is telling about us. It, it comes to teach us that, that it really is about what it means to, to live out the Christian life, to live out of, of a book that's been written over thousands of years and locked in. And to say, no, this is still true today as it was back then. It actually instructs us exactly how we should live and how everybody longs to live. We now see people through redemptive lenses and that's okay because that's how God has seen us and he continues to see us. He sees us in the redemptive work he has accomplished already and he is moving us in that direction to that beautiful new creation that we are. We may be mocked for it. We may be ostracized. I have a friend back in Texas who has gone through five jobs. He's a, he's a CPA, an accountant, and he's worked for various uh, major companies, uh, large corporation companies. And he would get in the midst of it, and at some point along the way, as he's trying to iron out the finances for these companies, he would find things that were really kind of under the table, really not legitimate business, not good ways and upright ways. And when he would try to address that with the management and with people that were over him, they would kind of say, hey, don't worry about that. Just move on and just keep putting that through. And he couldn't do it time and again. And he kept losing his job. He kept having to walk away from jobs and go try and find something else. And he was the primary breadwinner for his family. But he was willing to do that because he couldn't let his conscience just sit there and start growing cold and numb to that. He knew. 
He had to see things from a different lens, and he was an ambassador for Christ. So there are two categories of people we're going to encounter, is what Paul tells us as well. There's, number one, those who know the power of Christ. Those are Christians. Those are true, genuine believers. They're people who are part of the new creation. And then there's those who need an ambassador to speak to them, to speak that reality to them. They need to know that Jesus Christ has literally changed a life. One thing I've been thinking about, even in this season we've been in, and as we're kind of at this point, we're in a new year, and, and talking with folks, uh, I, I hate to say it, there's, there's folks I've talked with that have been like, wow, I can't believe y'all are still, still meeting up, and, and y'all are having services, and it sounds like y'all have, you know, uh, y'all are still meeting, and, and there's sort of this love for each other, and this bonding, and I'm like, yeah. And you know what, I honestly, as, as uncertain as it has felt, like the roller coaster of uncertainty, Week after week, month after month, it's the, the one thing that I love telling people is the work that I have seen and I think we all have experienced in this process. Is to be able to say that, you know what, in the midst of all of this, it's not ideal, but I tell you what, God's been working. He's done stuff in my heart. He's shown me things. He's given me new hope. He's given me new perspective on things. I've grown to love you more deeply than ever before. That's the work that God is doing. That's what people need to hear. There is a God who in every circumstance of our lives is there and he literally changes lives. And so my question would be, and this is something I really want to give you as homework to just think about. Because at some point I would love to pull you all in one by one and I'd like to ask, what have you, what have you learned? What has Christ done in your life through this season, through this process? When somebody asks you, what, what did you gain by sticking together? What do you say? I really am interested to hear it. Because I know we've all been changed here. Every single one of us. The third hindrance. We don't believe God really intends to use us. This is a tough one. This is one I know I personally have battled with over and over again. I'm quite often surprised that um, you still let me come up here uh, Sunday after Sunday. I, this was not in my mind. And even years past the things that I've been able to do in ministry was nothing I had in mind because I knew what I was before. And I knew bad habits that I have. And I know the things I still have that are not, you know, they're, they're just lifelong Bad habits that I wish I could break. Things I wish I could just, you know, magically click. I'm sure Marcy would too. And I think, oh, I'm just not that useful. I, maybe I just need this little corner niche and that's all I need to do is just focus on that. That's all. And then we see God move us into moments and places where as we start to look back, we realize I had no part in that. That was, that was all God doing the work. I didn't think you intended to use me in that way, but you did. It's in that conversation that somebody finally comes back years later and says, you know, when you said this to me, that really struck me. I never could shake it. And one day I found myself sitting in this spot and I remembered your name. I thought about what you had said that time. And God meant me there. That's the beauty of being an ambassador and speaking and representing Christ 
representing his kingdom wherever we go and whatever we do, we never know what God's going to do with it. We never know how he intends to use us moment by moment. And that's why as ambassadors, we have to be faithful to the commitment of walking earnestly and honestly and pursuing those things that, that, that produce righteousness, beauty, the things that reflect the glory of God. I'm not going to get all political here or anything like that, but I will say tomorrow, most of our country, for the most part, we recognize that it's MLK Day, Martin Luther King Jr. And, you know, failures and strengths, all those things, we all have them. And yes, he was not a perfect man by any stretch, but I tell you what, if you just take some time to read some of his speeches and some of his writings, he was a man who loved the Lord. He had a really keen perception of what it meant to live for a kingdom mentality. Where in a time, people had already figured out ways to, to establish the way that things should be in their minds. And he was not settled with that. Because he knew the kingdom included more than just this group. He knew the kingdom didn't separate these people. He knew that the kingdom was a beautiful, technicolor, multicolor, high-def body of people. He knew it began and that work that was happening had to be done with reconciliation. And that's what I love that Paul gets at in 18 and 19. All this, all this stuff is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's our ambassadorship. That's our message, is be reconciled to God. Don't follow me and don't, don't, don't hang on every word I say. Follow Jesus. Because that's who I'm following. He's the one who sent me now. And yes, I'm an imperfect representation of him. But I am going to do my darndest to represent him. I will do my best to be faithful to that. And that's what we have to commit to. Listen to what Martin Luther King Jr. said. But in the end is reconciliation. The, the end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is the type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. It is this type of understanding, goodwill, that will transform the deep gloom of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of men. One more quote of his. I still believe that standing up for the truth of God is the greatest thing in the world. This is the end purpose of life. The end of life, that is the purpose of life, is not to be happy. The purpose of life is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. The purpose of life is to do the will of God, come what may. Question one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? 
Who knows it? Who knows the answer? That's right. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Come what may. We are ambassadors for Christ. Let us glorify and enjoy him as we go, compelled by his love, to be his ambassadors. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have done a miraculous work. You have done a work and on our behalf and called us out of darkness and into your light so that we could be your ambassadors. That, Lord, that we could be used by you. That we might be instruments in your hands. We thank you that you have called us to yourself and made us yours. That, Lord, there is, there is nothing that can shake us from the grip of your love and your redemptive work. And so now would you help us to hold fast to that, to believe it, to walk in it with joy, with excitement, that we have a message of reconciliation and that reconciliation you have already shown us. Lord, help us. Help us to reach others. Help us to share with others. Help us to meet others. And Lord, help us to just do your will faithfully. Come what may. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you would send us the Spirit. We thank you that our whole salvation is a Trinitarian enterprise at work. And we look forward, Lord, to the day when the new creation will be fully realized. But in that time, the work is still in front of us and help us, strengthen us, encourage us to press on. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.